the exodus of the descendants of Israel out of Egypt and eventually into Canaan is a prototype or a model of how the covenant God always provides for his people. The book of Exodus begins with the Israelites experiencing great suffering due to hundreds of years of oppression. But then in less than a year, by no fewer than a dozen miracles, the people of Israel found themselves on the other side of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army drowned. This deliverance from slavery into freedom to serve the true God can be summed up with these words. Suffering and miracles can produce saving faith. And then just a generation later, because of their lack of faith in God, that generation suffered for 40 years in the wilderness because they did not have faith in God. Then they settled into the land that Yahweh spoke of to Abraham. And when this happened, Yahweh performed numerous miracles for them under their new leader, Joshua. So that's ancient Israel. But the supreme example of this truth was when the Son of God took on a human body and was born to a virgin. After three years of showing and telling God's people about God, he suffered greatly on the cross as he paid the price we could not pay for our sins. This is one miracle. Then on the third day, he rose from the dead to make new life possible to all. This is a second miracle. And then the third miracle happened after he ascended to his throne in heaven. And with the Father, they sent the Holy Spirit so that all who live by continuous faith in him will have life, eternal life, abundant life, and life with a purpose. And since then, for 2,000 years, um, all who have followed him can give some testimony to deliverances God has given them that were preceded by a time of suffering and then a miracle. So today, we see this specifically in the lives of Paul and Silas, and then more generally in the lives of many who were healed of diseases and unclean spirits by Jesus. So now with this background, let's go at our passages. In Acts, the first half of the story is when Paul encounters a woman possessed with literally a python spirit who makes money for her masters. He casts it out, is dragged to court with Silas. They're accused, beaten, and thrown into prison. So the first half is on their way to prayer. 
Paul's team encounters this woman with the python spirit who profited her masters. Paul expels the spirit and her masters drag Paul and Silas to court. Let's now look at the details of Luke's narration. And it was we going to prayer. Certain slave girl possessing python spirit came to meet us. She was bringing much profit to her masters by telling fortunes. Who's the we here? Well, the we is Luke, who often went on Paul's missionary journeys, accompanying Paul and his team. In fact, much of Luke's writing of Acts was as an eyewitness. He didn't have to consult people. Okay, now this python spirit, and I looked it up when I was preaching through the book of Acts several years ago, was all part of the Greek legends from the world-famous oracle at Delphi. It was symbolized by a python. So I heard oracle uh, in the text that we heard this morning. Now the men who owned and exploited her were taking much money from people who hoped to discover what the future held for them. And this goes right back to last week. We saw from the gospel when Jesus says, you cannot serve God in mammon. Well, these masters were putting mammon way above God. Luke continues, the same, meaning this slave girl, Following Paul and us was saying, these men, servants of the most high God, are being who are proclaiming to us the way of salvation. She was doing this many days. Now, I think we can all agree her message was absolutely correct. Paul and his team were proclaiming to all people of all nations, Jesus meaning Savior in English. He is the way. But Luke makes it clear that she did this as they went to pray, day after day after day. And it just prompted my memory when I said prayer. We must remember that the early church, mostly made up of Jews, continued to follow the practice of devout Jews where they prayed morning, noon, and mid to late afternoon. So multiply that out threefold by all the days. So Luke, who was right there and was a friend of Paul, said, but Paul, having been grieved and having turned, said to the spirit, I'm commanding thee in the name of Jesus Christ. And Christ is Mashiach in Hebrew or anointed king. Come out of her. And it came out the same hour. So Paul was grieved, as I think we all should be, because it was the right message coming from the wrong messenger. So he commanded the spirit to come out of this exploited slave girl, and it came out of her immediately. That's the word Luke uses right then and there. But having seen her masters, that it was gone, the hope of their prophet, having seized Paul and Silas, they dragged them to the marketplace of the rulers. You may have heard this word, agora, It's come into English and it's Greek for a marketplace. So all business, all trading, 
All political decisions and legal proceedings were done in one common place where all the people of the town assembled. And I think our reading this morning, we heard this public square. That's literally what it was. Now, the slave masters were hoping to avenge their lost profits there. Okay, the next part of this first half, the masters complained to the magistrates that Paul's Jewish customs are not Roman. And the crowd attacks them and having laid stripes on Paul and Silas before casting them to prison. So Luke continues his narration. Having brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are troubling our city, being Jews. So the first accusation, Paul and Silas are troubling the city, the city of Philippi. And then they play the ethnic prejudice card. How much like human nature is that, right? They're saying, in essence... These men are dirty, despised, holier-than-thou Jews. And then proclaiming customs, which it is not being proper to us to receive nor to do, being Romans. So again, they continue with this ethnic card. They say, our Roman customs are best. We rule the whole Mediterranean region. We won't follow their Customs, And then Luke tells us the multitude, the whole crowd, this mob joined the attack against them. And the magistrates, having torn off their clothes, they were commanding to beat. So the whole city that was gathered in this marketplace, they stripped Paul and Silas naked. And they're preparing to beat them within an inch of their lives. And having laid on them many stripes, they cast into prison, having commanded the jailer safely to keep them. So now Paul and Silas are both beaten and imprisoned. Now, uh, there's a bunch of ways to interpret this. Uh, I I hope I didn't go too far afield. I listened to the uh, more modern translation. Uh, It said um, safely to keep them. It could be securely, but the word seemed to me more like safety. So uh, I got to be thinking about this. And these magistrates are by no means concerned about the safety of Paul and Silas. But I think they were concerned about the safety of the citizens of the city. That Paul and Silas not corrupt them and that they not be exposed to dangerous customs and teachings which weren't Roman. And I think there's a lot of this ethnic conflict in here. And then uh, our texts conclude. We can wrap it up in these words. There's much here to consider. Paul and Silas praise God in suffering. An earthquake opens doors. And as the guard contemplates suicide, they tell him of salvation in Jesus. And he's baptized. And then in the gospel portion, also with the human author of Luke, Jesus tells of his blessing on people persecuted for him. So first we have Paul and Silas praying songs to God 
while being bound with prisoners listening. And suddenly an earthquake loosens the bonds, opens the doors. The guard considers suicide. But Paul says, we're all here. So going back to Luke's account, who, meaning the jailer, such command having received, he threw them into the inner prison and their feet he secured in the stocks. So this suffering, which was bad enough being beaten, is now heightened as they're put in the innermost darkness of a prison cave with their feet in stocks sitting on a cold floor. Luke goes on. But about midnight, Paul and Silas praying. They were singing hymns to God. And by the way, the Greek word is hymn. English loves to steal words from other language. So they're singing hymns to God. But the prisoners were listening to them. So, ignoring their suffering, Paul and Silas are praying to God by continually singing hymns to him. Hymns to God. And if that wasn't enough, All the other prisoners are living. So please forgive my uh, cute wordplay. They had a captive audience, right? Okay. Then suddenly a great earthquake happened so as to shake the foundations of the prison and immediately were opened the doors and all the bands were loose. Unquestionably a miracle. I don't think it just accidentally happened that there was a seismic shock. This great earthquake shook the ground under the prison cave that opened the doors, broke the stocks that were binding all the prisoners. And this shows God miraculously caring for his imprisoned apostles in order, uh, in short order, okay? Very rarely does God do a miracle within 12 hours of a, a, a tragedy or a hard time. But from this, let us realize, people, that the suffering of spiritual warfare in Jesus, it does have an expiration date, okay? That's our hope, however bad things get. Then we're told, we focus now on the guard. Having become awake, the prison guard, having seen that had been opened the doors of the prison and having drawn the sword, was intending to kill himself, supposing to have fled the prisoners. Let's try to understand his desperation here. It's human nature. For the guard, based on what he saw, to assume the prisoners had escaped and he would pay with his life. Go back a few chapters to when Peter had been imprisoned and he was miraculously released from jail. We're told Herod had the guards brought before him and he immediately executed him. This is what the guard is thinking of. But Paul cried in a loud voice, nothing thou might be doing to thyself harm because everyone were still being in this place so aware of Roman laws. Paul quickly speaks up to put the mind of the guard at ease despite the appearances and what he sees with his eyes. 
All the prisoners are still in the prison. And then to summarize the last part of our account, the God falls down before Paul and Silas, asking how to be saved. They tell him to believe on Jesus. They teach him the word. He's baptized with his family who rejoiced that they had believed in God. Back to Luke's account. But having called for a light, he rushed. And trembling having come, he fell down before Paul and Silas, having led them out. So he's already taken them out of the mouth of this prison cave. Now, the guard, he's deeply shaken within his soul. And as I was going through my Bible software, there was a little note here that the particular uh, word for light that Luke uses has theological implications. The Holy Spirit through Luke wants us to know in all of this, God is at work. So the guard is shaking as he falls down before God's messengers. And then Luke tells us, and we should never forget this. We should have it imprinted in our hearts and minds. He said, sirs, what it is necessary for me to do that I may be saved. People, he's asked the biggest question any human being can ever ask. Can I be saved? And they said, thou must believe upon the Lord Jesus and thou will be saved, thou and thy household. Believe on Lord Jesus. Faith must be fully in the person and the work of Jesus the Savior. It must be with all of the heart, all of the mind, all of the will of the believer, and it must not be for anything. Too many times we think if we have enough faith, we can get the thing that we want. No, no. It must be exclusively on and in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the object of faith, a person, a savior. Further, Paul and Silas say the household, including his family and servants, the household of this guard can be saved as he receives Jesus as Savior, and then he will tell them, and everyone will be able to come to Jesus. And I think there's a little bit more where the head of the household had more authority and influence than is in today's culture. And then they spoke to him the word of the Lord with all those in his house. And it was through what they taught. They taught him to do what Jesus had said in the Great Commission, to obey everything Jesus commanded. So as I thought about this, and again, I may be guilty of a little bit too much of a wordplay here, but I think the principle is true. This tells us we must always be ready to speak words about Jesus whenever he opens doors for us with other people. 
And then having taken them in that hour of the night, he, the jailer, washed their wounds and he was baptized. He and all of his immediately. So what was his first act? And we'll be getting into this in a few weeks and I'll have it in the benediction. Uh, faith without works is dead. I'm just going to throw this in. Uh, Rich Mullins has a song with a great title. Faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. Think about it. So, um, the suffering of God's messengers and the midnight miracle produced saving faith in the jailer and all that were his. Again, here's a principle. And we might not like the first half of it. But suffering and miracles can and most times will produce saving faith. So the last words we have from Luke's narration are so having brought them into his house. He placed food and they rejoiced all his household and believed in God. So even when suffering is involved, the miracle that produces salvation. And remember, salvation in itself may be the biggest miracle of all. It results in great joy for those who know God has saved them in his son. Suffering and miracles produce saving faith. And now let us turn back to Luke's gospel account in what is known as part of the Sermon on the Plain. And we get some background on this and then a portion of the sermon. Basically, Jesus heals many by his power. And then he proclaims blessing on those persecuted for him, telling them to rejoice in their eternal reward. So they came to hear him and to be healed from their diseases. And they being vexed from unclean spirits and they were being healed. So throughout Jesus's public ministry, people kept coming to Jesus and they kept being healed. But these healings of both body and spirit were preceded by hearing what Jesus was teaching. And then we're told all the crowd was seeking to touch him because power from him was going out and he was healing all. So people could sense divine power was emanating from Jesus. So multitudes were desiring to touch him. And a little bit later in Luke's gospel, this idea of touching and being healed, we know the story about the woman bleeding for 12 years with no relief, who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. That's what this is all about. Then skipping down a a few verses, we get the last of his beatitudes of the sermon on the plain. Blessed you all are being when men may hate you all and when they may separate you all and they may reproach and they may cast out the name of you all as evil for the sake of the son of man. So, Jesus says those who follow him in faith can expect four kinds of persecution. First, hatred. Second, exclusion. Maybe we'd call it canceling these days. Reproach and slander. 
but he's promised he will bless such people. And then he continues, you all must be rejoiced in that day. And you all must leap for joy. And again, my Bible software, this was so cool. It talks about the leaping for joy of a baby being formed in the womb. And I know that expectant mothers often love that feeling of the baby jumping around inside of them. And Jesus goes on, for behold, the reward of you all is great in heaven, because similarly, they were doing to the prophets, their fathers. So Jesus commands them to rejoice in these persecutions, because he's promised them a great eternal reward at the last day. So uh, I've come to the end of the text, but I think for a final application, I think this is what God wants us to do in light of what we've heard this morning. We must all pray to experience joy in our faith in Jesus, okay? Both in our initial faith in Jesus, and that is sometimes so overwhelming, but then it may wane a bit. So we need to also experience joy in whatever persecutions may come because of our faithful obedience to Jesus. The bottom line is rejoice in any persecutions that we have because we're becoming like Jesus. That's his own word to us. So to wrap it up, Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned for setting a slave girl free from an evil spirit. Then as they prayed, praise songs to the Lord at midnight, an earthquake set them physically free, but they stayed and they gave the good word of Jesus to the guard who was saved with his family. And all of this had been previewed when Jesus walked on the earth and he miraculously healed and delivered multitudes who were suffering, giving to them the joy of his salvation. I know all of us experience suffering from time to time, but I think the message we can take away from these scriptures is suffering and miracles together can produce and grow saving faith.